0: Broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network, this is Cultural Baggage.
1: It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American.
0: My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. Welcome to this edition of Cultural Baggage. I'm glad you could be with us. Here in just a moment, we'll have our guest for this evening, Mr. Chris Crane. He's the director of of students for a sensible drug policy who just had their international conference this past week in washington dc but first up thanks to drug truth network engineer philip guffey i want to read an extract from today's economist out of great britain they're talking about iran supplying uh, not black market but open market uh, kidney transplants to people from around the world and It continues here with, quote, In Canada, where 4,000 people are waiting for organ transplants and some go to India or the Philippines in the hope of buying body parts, one specialist argues that a regulated system of compensation poses fewer problems than an illicit trade. Further, quote, If you have buying and selling taking place in a country and you can't stop it, then it's immoral not to regulate the trade since so much harm occurs in a black market. End quote. So said Abdullah Dayar at the University of Toronto, who has visited Iran and thinks it may have lessons for others. As a member of what America calls the Axis of evil, Iran is not often held up as a model in the West, but its approach to a desperate and growing medical need may yet find some imitators. End quote. As you hear so often here on the Drug Truth Network, it is our policy of eternal prohibition, of insisting that this black market exists that creates the vast majority of the harms that are supposedly ascribed to drugs and drug users. And now let's go to our guest for this edition of Cultural Baggage.
2: Yeah, this is Chris Crane. I'm the Executive Director of Students for Sensible Drug Policy.
0: Chris, you guys had a, a very successful conference, I think, uh, uh, if you will give us kind of the grand scope, what was involved in in this conference uh, last week in D.C.?
2: Well, last weekend was our eighth annual conference, and uh, we brought about 300 students from over 70 universities across the United States and Canada uh, to Washington, D.C. for a three-day conference. That was uh, by far the largest conference we've ever had in terms of uh, the number of students there, and as well as the uh, number of universities represented. Um, we uh, we featured three very distinct days at the conference. Um, Friday was a congressional lobby day um, where uh, Congressman Dennis Kucinich showed up and gave a uh, nice pep talk to uh, all the students there. And then uh, we set them up with meetings with 85 different congressional offices, both on the House and Senate side, uh, where the students went and lobbied on behalf of repealing the law that's denied federal financial aid to um, close to 200,000 students with drug convictions. Um, they did a great job in terms of uh, securing some new co-sponsors for the uh, the act that would repeal that law. Um, so that uh, we're going to be able to really hit the ground running when the next legislative session starts next year. Um, and then uh, on Saturday, uh, that was our Drug War Education Day, and the students heard from some uh, terrific speakers, pretty much all the leaders of the drug policy reform movement, uh, Ethan Nadelman, uh, Steph Shear, Alan St. Pierre, uh, Kevin Zeiss, uh, Marsha Rosenbaum, just about everybody, uh, everybody who runs a drug policy organization, um, as well as uh, some other notable speakers, um, including uh, Bill Press. From MSNBC and, uh, and CNN, and uh, Clarence Page of the Chicago Tribune is also regular on the McLaughlin Group. The two of them were joined by uh, Ryan Grimm of the Capitol Leader and had a panel discussion about the way that the media covers the war on drugs. Um, I think that's a discussion that is long overdue, not just among the student community, but among the drug policy community uh, as a whole. Um, and then on Sunday, uh, Sunday was a day of activist skills training, which featured workshops on. Uh, Media relations, uh, basic media training, coalition building, fundraising, um and all the skills that students need to be more effective uh, activists and advocates for reform both in their, on their campuses and in their communities. Um and they heard from some great speakers like, uh, Terry Michael, the former, uh, press secretary for the Democratic National Committee. Uh, they heard from, uh, Nadine Block, who did a, uh, nonviolent direct action training. She's from Code Pink and the Ruckus Society. um... as well as our keynote speaker, Billy Murphy, who is a, uh, famed criminal defense lawyer and former judge who talked about uh, the way that the war on drugs um, affects uh, particular African American communities and inner city communities. Um, so it was a really well rounded uh, conference of uh, training, lobbying, and activism for a, a record number of students who we hope will take the lessons that they learned and go back to their campuses and change some policies in their campuses and in their communities.
0: Well, uh, Chris, you, you bring up what I think is a telling point that uh, uh, many people broad spectrum, if you will, are beginning to recognize the uh, failings of this drug war and are beginning to uh, become willing to speak up. I I think, if I dare say, a a large part of uh, uh, what was relayed or hopefully conveyed was a willingness to stand up, a willingness to speak up, because, if you will, I think we own this uh, moral high ground in this regard. Your thoughts on that?
2: I think you're absolutely right. I don't think there's any doubt that we, that our side that owns the moral high ground on this issue. And uh, I think the caliber of the speakers that showed up at this conference really affirms the fact that, um, you know, the mainstream establishment, you know, people like Bill Press and Clarence Page and Terry Michael, you know, former DNC press secretary, that these folks, um, you know, are willing to come to a conference like this to talk about the war on drugs, to talk about. What students can do um, to help put an end to, in particular, drug war attacks on young people. Um, so I think, yeah, this conference was a very good example of um, people in the mainstream and also the leaders of the drug policy re- uh, reform movement and the research community sort of coming together to talk about, you know, what students and other people can do to help reform these, you know, some of these particularly terrible laws.
0: Well, Chris, as you know, I. I uh... try to invite any and everybody uh to the drug truth network to talk about the problems and the solutions and uh, i find more and more that uh as as you say these people of uh worthy uh backgrounds etc are willing to come forward and and share what they have learned and and share those solutions with us now uh tell us a little bit about students for sensible drug policy you say it's your eighth convention um, tell us about uh, who a typical member might be, and uh, perhaps how they might join forces with you.
2: Well, we are uh, we are an eight-year-old organization, and this was our eighth annual conference. Um, basically, what Students for Sensible Drug Policy is all all, all about is uh, mobilizing students to help work to put an end to the war on drugs and help come up with alternative policies that um uh, that treat drugs as a health issue rather than a criminal justice issue. Um, And in particular, we tend to focus on issues that um, most negatively impact young people and students. Um, So, uh, for example, the the issues that we had our students lobby on this past weekend um, were the law that denies federal financial aid to students with drug convictions that uh, we refer to as the Higher Education Act, aid elimination penalty. Um, We also work on issues like student drug testing, random suspicionless drug testing of students in public schools. as well as the uh, ONDCP um, anti-drug uh, youth media campaign, uh, which are those you know silly commercials that you see on TV about uh, you know a student smokes pot and then gets his fist stuck in his mouth or shoots his friend in the face, those kind of things that you know we find to be uh, particularly insulting to uh, to the intelligence of young people in this country. Um, and uh, uh, it's hard to define what a typical member is um, or, or typical a uh, person gets involved in SSDP. I mean, we have chapters. On about 100 campuses nationwide, um, we have chapters on, um, you know, traditional uh, large colleges. We have chapters on small liberal arts colleges, um, community colleges, trade schools. Um, we also have chapters in high schools, um, as well as uh, as well as in uh, graduate schools and even law schools. The, the conference itself was held at Georgetown University Law Center, um, where we have a uh, where we have a chapter at the Georgetown Law School. Um, so uh, pretty much anybody who's involved in uh, education on any level can start an SSDP chapter in uh, on their campus uh, whether they be in high school grad school um undergraduate school or uh, or any type of education um, educational establishment and uh you know we also have uh you know supporters uh, people who ally with us from other organizations and just individual supporters around the country, um, who are not students but who feel that, uh, the drug war attacks on young people need to come to an end and they support the work that we do. Um, and so we have, you know, dues paying members from the general public. Um, and we also have people that volunteer their time, um, you know, among our grassroots activists in the chapters by uh, you know, donating their expertise, donating um, their services in terms of you know, something like graphic design, or you know, go, uh, criminal defense lawyers will teach students their, about their rights. Um, pretty much anybody who's interested in this issue can get involved with students for sensible drug policy in one way or another.
0: Now, I heard the statement made, I think, a couple of times during the conference that uh, this drug war has been waged in the name of the young. And that you're saying no more, not not in our name. Uh, your your thoughts, sir? How how do you throw off that uh, that uh, onus, that that burden, and and just face down the real truth?
2: Well, sure. And I'm glad you were paying attention. That was, uh, I think, a direct soundbite from my from my opening uh, speech at the conference there. Uh, but that's absolutely true. Um, the drug war, uh, particularly the modern incarnation of the drug war that was started by uh, by Ronald Reagan and, and Nancy Reagan in the uh, in the mid '80s, um, has always been waged in the name of protecting young people. Um, if you go back to the mid '80s uh, and Nancy Reagan's "Just Say No" campaign, you had all these you know little kids standing in front of the Capitol, smiling, yelling "Just Say No," and the whole thing was was waged in the name of protecting young people. Um, so I think it's really incumbent upon us as young people in this country to stand up and say, you know what. Stop waging this war in our name. This is a war that hurts our generation far more than it helps our generation, and it's really up to us to put an end to this. Um, and I think there's no doubt uh, whatsoever that this war, you know, has really become, in many ways, a war on youth. Um, if you look simply at the statistics uh, of drug arrests in this country, particularly marijuana arrests, the vast majority of arrests for marijuana possession in this country are for people under the age of 29 years old. Um, it's, this, is, this is increasingly a war that targets young people, um, even though it's been waged in the name of protecting young people. So it's really up to us, as young people and as students, to say, you know what, we can't be waging this war in our names any any longer. This war is hurting our generation, and so it's really up to us, as a generation whose name this war has been waged in, to put an end to it once and for all.
0: Now, it is my hope that uh, perhaps some of the video I captured there and some that you guys uh, were able to wrangle as well. Will be compiled and made available to uh, students and others across the country. Perhaps uh, used as a fundraising device, but uh, the the thought that you know this drug war is being waged in the name of the children is is rather ludicrous. Because as you say, the number arrested uh, for drugs, usually minor amounts of drugs, uh, are always uh, predominantly uh, the young. And, and we need to uh, stand up for that moral high ground and, and uh, gather the thoughts and the, the facts together to uh, counteract the, uh, the jihad that's been waged low these decades. What's your thoughts with the uh, new
2: Democratic Congress coming into power? Are we going to be able to make some more progress? Um, I certainly hope so. Uh, you know, the last time that the Democrats were in power... Um, uh, going back to the early 90s, they really didn't do very much on this issue. Um, so I would I would characterize myself as cautiously optimistic. Um, however, I think having been uh, in the wilderness, so to speak, for the last 12 years or so, um, has allowed many Democrats to latch on to more controversial issues. Um, and uh, for instance, uh, this year, the uh, the Rise Act, which is the, which is a uh, bill that would repeal the H.E.A. elimination penalty, um, had 71 co-sponsors um all 71 of those co-sponsors were democrats um, and so with the democrats retaking congress next year we're very hopeful that after having been introduced every year for the past 7 years that this uh that this bill will move forward and in fact we've even talked with members of um uh, barney frank uh, barney frank's staff barney frank being the chief sponsor of the law um, and he, uh, they have assured us that uh, they're going to make moving this bill a, a, a legislative priority for their staff. So we're very hopeful that we can um, get a hearing for the first time, hopefully get a vote in committee for the first time, and maybe even move this thing through. Um, we also have a great opportunity to uh, get the HEA aid elimination penalty repealed outright when the Higher Education Act as a whole comes up for reauthorization this year. The HEA is up for reauthorization every seven years. Um, and that's how the law was was slipped in. It was slipped in in committee back when it uh, back in 1998, the last time it came up for reauthorization. Um, now it was it was due to be reauthorized again in 1995, and I'm sorry, in 2005. Except the uh, Republican controlled Congress was not able to push the bill through. They were gridlocked on so many other issues that it actually hasn't been reauthorized yet. And so we're hopeful that the bill will be reauthorized um, uh, next year, as it's going to be two years overdue. And when that happens, we're hopeful that a a friendly uh, member of Congress um likely from the Democratic Party, although if we get a Republican that would be terrific, Um to slip in, uh, uh slip in an amendment that would just repeal this law and when the bill gets, uh, re when the HEA gets reauthorized, it'll be taken off the books altogether. Um you know, we're also hopeful that we can get some of the money that's been appropriated for student drug tested diverted to programs that have actually been proven to help, uh, keep kids from abusing drugs, in particular youthful reentry programs that help ease, um entry, f- uh, for, uh, for kids who have been in trouble from juvenile hall back into society. Um, so, I'm, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm cautiously optimistic, but, uh, but very hopeful that we actually will be able to make some progress on some of the issues that are important to young people uh, surrounding the war on drugs in the upcoming Congress.
0: Well, very good. Um, if folks want to learn more about your organization, uh, point them where they could go on the web and what they could learn there.
2: Well, if, if anybody wants to get more involved with Students for Sensible Drug Policy, they can go to schoolsnotprisons.com. Um, that's our website. We've, got some, we've already got some photos from the conference up on our website, um, and we'll have a bunch of audio and video posted up there uh, probably within the next two weeks. Um, and uh, if anybody, if there are any students who are listening who are interested in starting a chapter and getting involved in the student movement and the war on drugs, um, I encourage them to go to schoolsnotprisons.com, click on the link that says start a chapter, um, and there's a simple web form they can fill out. Our field director will get right back to them and walk them through the process. And if any non-students are interested in uh, volunteering their time or making a donation or getting involved in any way possible, even mentoring some current students, um, th- again, they can go to schoolsnotprisons.com, contact us, send us an email, and uh, we'll, get them all, we'll get them all set up in uh, whatever way they want to help us out.
0: Well, very good. Uh, once again, we've been speaking with Mr. Chris Crane, Director of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Chris, uh, I want to commend you and thank you. For the uh, wonderful learning environment this uh, past week's conference was, and to uh, wish you the best success in the future.
2: Well, thanks very much, and I appreciate you being at the conference and uh, filming some great footage. I look forward to seeing the uh, seeing the footage myself and uh, making it available to uh, students and non-students who'd like to see, uh, you know, what happened at the conference and uh, you know what an inspiring event it truly was. So I appreciate you doing that filming and having me on the uh, having me on the show here, and um, yeah, thanks for being such a good supporter of this organization.
0: It's time to play Name That
2: drug by its side
0: effects. Physical stimulation, appetite suppression, the prevention of altitude sickness through increased oxygen supply. Time's up. The answer, as is so obvious in the lives of millions of Bolivians, Coca, Mother Coca. If you'd like to hear a quick summary about my recent trip to Bolivia, Please tune in to the Drug Truth Network at drugtruth.net. Listen to this week's Century of Lies show with Mr. Sanho Tree of the Institute for Policy Studies, as well as for Witness for Peace.
1: This is Terry Nelson speaking on behalf of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Going after the big guys, just about daily you hear about the proverbial six-month drug investigation that has resulted in many arrests. Generally, the amount of legal substances seized in the drug raid is small, which indicates that while the illicit operation may be large, it's not moving large amounts of substance. The stated priority of many police departments is to go after the big dealers. So they make several small buys from the street dealer, and perhaps he leads them back to the alleged stash house or he cops a plea when he's finally busted. The whole process is time-consuming, not effective, and a sorry misuse of our scarce police resources. Officers have a sworn duty to protect and to serve the public. But under the auspices of the War on Drugs, officers are required to prey upon the public that they have been sworn to serve and protect. Now, if the drugs are as bad as they are reported to be, why did the police allow the dealer to continue selling the drugs for six months or more? It would seem that the police are complicit in allowing additional drugs to be sold and not stopping the seller from any additional sales. Or is it that they know the drugs are, not doing, are doing minimum harm, and therefore, not the public safety issue at all? Perhaps merely business as usual for the police conducting this failed public policy. And that business as usual turned deadly in Atlanta one night this week. It was reported that three plainclothes narcotics officers went to the home of a 92-year-old woman to allegedly serve a search warrant. We will never know what the woman was thinking but I'm willing to bet that the old lady was scared to death by the hammering on her door. Consequently, she refused to answer the knock. The door allegedly was kicked in by the officers, and the woman opened fire, wounding all three officers. They returned fire, and the 92-year-old woman was mortally wounded. Preliminary reports are sketchy, but I have trouble believing that a 92-year-old woman was a threat to society. And if she believed that her home was being invaded, then she was right in defending her home. If the officers knew the age of the woman, then they certainly should have had a uniformed officer with them and or served the warrant during daylight hours. Were they just going after the big guys? No matter. This is another of the unintended consequences of this crazy failed public drug policy. The war on drugs with the stated goal of reducing crime, drug addiction, and juvenile drug use has done the exact opposite. It's time for a change. Let's work together to stop this craziness and help build a better future for ourselves and our children. This is Terry Nelson at www.leap.cc, signing off.
0: Poppygate, bizarre news about the U.S. policy on controlling heroin, featuring Glenn Greenway.
3: Under American occupation, Afghanistan has virtually monopolized the world's heroin black market. Currently, at least half of the Afghan economy is dependent on opium poppy cultivation. Narcotics trafficking is poverty-stricken Afghanistan's primary source of foreign investment. According to a recent feature on the PBS NewsHour with Jim Lehrer, Afghan farm gate opium prices have now fallen to $37 a kilo. One kilo of opium can be refined to produce 100 grams of pure heroin worth about $7,500 in Western markets. In other words, the Afghan farmer gets a meager half-cent on the dollar. On November 7th, the Afghan government announced that aerial chemical spraying could be considered to curb the explosion of opium poppy cultivation. The U.S. Congress has already earmarked $152 million for this controversial tactic, which has, up until now, been strongly resisted by the Afghan government. On November 16th, the General Accounting Office reported that despite the U.S. spending over half a billion dollars on Afghan anti-drug efforts in 2005, the opium poppy crop grew by over 50% in 2006. The GAO added that increasing levels of violence could further derail anti-drug programs. There has been a fourfold increase in the number of people killed in the Afghan war this year. Resistance-related security incidents have also increased a fourfold and now occur 600 times per month. This is Glenn Greenway,
4: reporting for the Drug Truth Network. The world can change in the blink of an eye. November is the anniversary of my involvement in drug policy reform. I attended my first National Normal Conference in Washington, D.C. in 1983. Then, Normal was the only group in the U.S. working seriously on drug policy reform, and even it was giving up its lobbying effort to become strictly an educational organization. How times change. Now, Normal still has the educational 501c3, as well as a political action committee, and it is no longer alone. Now, there are several organizations working on drug policy reform at the national level, along with scores of groups at the state and local level, and student organizations on hundreds of campuses across North America. When I began in 1983, there were three legal federal medical marijuana patients. Then came the passage of Proposition P in San Francisco in 1990, followed by the passage of Prop 215 in California in 1996. Then another. And another. And now there are 11 states with legal medical marijuana and thousands of patients who can now get safe, secure access to their medicine. The mid-1980s saw the opening of the current drug war. Then Democrats vied with Republicans to be seen as toughest and most cruel now, some of those same Democrats are working to curb at least some of the excesses, such as mandatory minimums and the crack versus powder cocaine sentencing disparity. Lawmakers at the state level around the country have already seen the writing on the wall and have increasingly been turning to drug courts and other treatment alternatives because they understand they cannot incarcerate drug use out of existence. Drug legalization is simply an idea the time for which has come. While we as a movement may sometimes endure setbacks, we have matured enough to regard these as temporary and as opportunities to learn and improve. We have made and are continuing to make significant progress, and we will continue in this work to end prohibition until it is completed. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh of Common Sense for Drug Policy.
0: Well, you've heard me talk about it many times, how Houston, Harris County, leads the world in the incarceration rate of its own people. And last week, the Houston Chronicle carried an op-ed from Judge Michael McSpadden calling for a lessening of the penalties in this drug war. They followed it up with an editorial embracing his idea. And just yesterday, KHOU-TV, the CBS affiliate here, carried the following story, which uh, would tend to indicate maybe there's a change in the wind for his harsh punishment for drug users is recommending
5: an unusual solution. He's on record advocating to reduce the penalty of processing of possessing cocaine. Decriminalize small amounts, but would it work? Eleventh supporter Wendell Edwards was curious, so he asked the judge to explain. After 24 years on the bench, perceived as tough but fair, Judge Michael McSpadden is taking a risk. He wants the penalty in minor drug cases reduced. He tells 11 News a punishment for delivering or possessing drugs less than one gram should be a misdemeanor, not a felony.
3: I think it's the proper thing to do. I don't want somebody who is charged with less than one gram, again, in, in residue amounts in a lot of cases, being charged with a felony.
5: Max Patton gave us a copy of the letter he wrote to Governor Rick Perry suggesting this change. In that letter... He tells Perry the war on drugs is a complete failure, and symbolic at best, and that these cases are overwhelming every felony docket.
3: I think you stop them uh, and charge them with misdemeanors and place them in a, a drug rehab. No.
5: DA Chuck Rosenwald disagrees. He says you can't change the law simply because it's not working.
0: The argument can be made about any drug law that it's not working because we have people... That are still violating the law. And does that mean we shouldn't have drug laws? I don't think so.
5: What is but that? local attorney Delonda Jones says this is a change she's been advocating for years.
4: Possession less than a gram, you can't even see it to test it. How on earth is that a felony? That makes no sense to me.
5: Max Batten says it's clearly time for a change, even if that means more low level drug users are on the streets.
3: I'd much rather have them out on the streets than. Those people who have committed murders, rapes, and robberies who we do not have enough people to to hunt them down
5: we call the governor's office, and a spokeswoman says judge mcsbatten's letter has been received and referred to the governor's policy staff. She also says Governor Perry will look closely at proposals that come before the legislature that address this specific specific issue and at the same time protects the public against repeat drug offenders.
0: So there you have it. Even CBS is willing to talk about the possibility of making changes to these draconian laws. And I want to make a quick comment here. I interviewed District Attorney Chuck Rosenthal here in Harris County, and he told me that it's hard to make any changes because when the only tool you have to work with is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. The following message applies to the United States, but boy, does it apply to Houston, Harris County, Texas. Drug prohibition, 90 years of success, lead us to this day. Our children pick up the phone and drugs are delivered within the hour, because that's how we like it. Overdose deaths, preventable by a phone call, are assured by paranoia. Yes, we are number one violent drug gangs are the scourge of our continent. We insist that their jobs pay so very well. Terrorists turn flowers into 1000000 dollar bankrolls to buy bigger weapons to kill us. So each year we give them $500 billion to make it so. We are the champions of the world. Well, that's about it. I hope you enjoyed the program. Be assured that I'm working on the video from the Bolivian trip and the video from the uh, Washington, D.C., SSDP conference. And to be advised, we have the first unvarnished truth, counterculture or positive culture available at our website, drugtruth.net. And as always, I remind you, because of drug prohibition, you don't know what's in that bag. Please be careful. To the Drug Truth Network listeners around the world, on behalf of engineer Philip Guffey, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage and the Unvarnished Truth, the show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston. Tap dancing on the edge of Canada.